to help give you freedom foundations. Um, it is, we don't want to just give you uh, steps to freedom uh, because we feel like the steps and, and uh, kind of formulas are, are not really uh, in accordance with the heart of God because God is not a formula. Uh, and uh, oftentimes we just can't take the exact same steps to reach a particular result uh, because God loves to do new things and uh, do the old things in new ways. Uh, so what we're giving you then is foundations, foundations on which you can build on to begin to experience more and more freedom and greater and greater and greater degrees of freedom in your life. And uh, last week we talked about insecurity and uh, the, the freedom foundation that I gave you last week was my father says uh, that sometimes we, we have this mark of, of of uh, what makes us valuable and what makes us count in culture. And I I proclaim to you and I told you the truth of God, uh, that God's measuring stick for the value of your life is completely different than the one that the culture wants to measure your life by. And that our freedom, uh, the the foundation that we have to, to stand on in order to experience freedom over the insecurity that we may feel is the foundation of my father says. My father says that I am loved so much that he has adopted me into his family through faith. My father says that I am valuable. My father says that I count. My father says uh, that I am capable through him as I'm empowered through his spirit. And so um, I just want to let you know that of, of um, I, I believe that every time we open up God's word, there's pot- power and potential for change. But the feedback that I got from all of you last week uh, was that this message last week struck a chord, uh, that it really um, spoke to many of you. And so if you missed it last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, you can stream it right from our website. You can download it, put it on your mobile devices. Uh, lots of ways to get a hold of the sermons each week in case you miss. So I would encourage you to do that uh, if you missed last week. So what I want to do this week is I want to talk about anxiety, worry. And some of you are already worried about this sermon. Some of you have been worried about it all week, and I told you last week to not be worried about it. And so this is a timely word for many of you, okay? And so I want to, uh, just, I just want to start off with Scripture and uh, see what God has to say about worry. So open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. It's a famous passage. If you grew up in church, you may... Uh, You may well be um, very familiar with this passage. Parts of it you may even have memorized. Uh, But I want to read this together. And I believe that God wants to speak to us and set us free from worry this morning. It says this, Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, or what you will wear, Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? For look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, and each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, we live in a pretty complicated world. We live in a pretty busy world. And so I wonder if, if any of you have ever read this passage or if you've heard it for the very first time this morning. I wonder if we've ever heard this passage, come across this passage, and began to think to ourselves that Jesus really wasn't in touch with reality when he gave this, this teaching. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, the mortgage is due. The assignment is due. The test is coming up. The, your kids aren't doing well in school. Or if your kids are my age, you have to decide what school to send them to. And trust me, there's a whole world out there that we didn't even know about. And it's cause to worry. You don't have enough money for retirement. And you're worried. Your car is broke. And so are you. So when your car breaks down, you have a car crisis and a financial crisis. And if you're married and you're having a car crisis and a financial crisis, chances are you're having a marriage crisis as well. And so crises just kind of pile up on one another. And Jesus says, in this kind of culture, in this kind of world, where we have so much to worry about, some of you need a roommate, some of you need a boyfriend, some of you just need a friend. And Jesus says, man, don't worry. It's all good. Jesus, in fact, says, look at the birds, man. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers, man. Don't worry, it's all good. And all of a sudden we're like in new age Jesus, right? And and you're like, is he actually in touch with reality when he's given this? I mean, maybe this world was completely different than ours, but I'm pretty sure there was a lot to worry about in the ancient world as well. So what in the world is going on and what is Jesus doing? I have to ask the question, is this Bobby McFerrin Jesus in 1988? Anybody? Bobby McFerrin? Come on, any fans? Come on, sing along with me. It's like, don't worry. Be happy. Yeah, see? You guys know what I'm talking about. And you're like, is this, is this what did Bobby McFerrin capture all that Jesus was talking about in this passage when he wrote that song. Now listen to this. I, 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 got, I get so caught up in the melody of that song. I've never actually listened to the words. Let me read you some lyrics to this song. It will, this, this song will blow your mind, all right? So the question we're asking is, is this really what Jesus is talking about? Is he, is, can we boil it all down and just play the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Here's the, here's the words. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlord says the rent is late and he may have to litigate. But don't worry. Be happy. Come on. Ain't got no cash. Ain't got no style. Ain't got no girl to make you smile. But don't worry. Be happy. I love this part. Because when you worry, your face will frown. And that's going to bring everybody down. So don't worry. Be happy now. You know? And so is this really what Jesus is talking about? And, and you know, I have, to, I have to tell you that some people really look at this passage 
with its sort of light language about flowers and, and, and about birds. And, and it's kind of this, this poetic imagery almost. And, and it's sort of like, it's not like Jesus is saying, I command you, do not worry, because when you worry, it's a sin. Jesus is saying, you know, don't worry. Look at the birds, look at the flowers. And because of the language that Jesus uses, because of the imagery that he uses, sometimes we understand the absence of worry to be laziness or the absence of caring, right? You know, if Jesus is just saying, hey, you know, look at the birds and don't worry, then sometimes our mind is drawn to Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy, where we don't have a place to lay our head and we're, we're getting sued and I ain't got no girl or style or cash, but don't worry, it's all good, right? And so what happens is sometimes this passage is misunderstood as Jesus saying that the absence of worry is the absence of caring. In other words, some of you are going to read this passage. Some of you are going to leave here today and misunderstand not only this passage, but misunderstand me. And you're going to think that it's actually okay to live in your mom's basement until you're 32 playing Call of Duty all day. And when she comes in and she's like, when are you going to get a job? You just say, you know, it's all good. I'm not worried about it. And when she comes in and says, you need a girlfriend, and he, you, you say, you know, I don't, it's all good. I'm not worried about it, right? Come on. That, see, the reason you didn't laugh is because that was too close to home. <laughs> Some of you are like, I live in my mom's basement. <laughs> he called me out, right? Here's, here's the deal. Jesus is not telling us to not work. He's telling us not to worry. Jesus isn't saying don't work. He's saying don't worry. And there's an important difference there. Because listen, let's go back to Bobby McFerrin. Let's exegete the, the, the song here. Let's understand the song. If somebody, if you ain't got no place to lay your head because somebody stole your bed, file a police report. <laughs> don't just not worry about it. Take some action, you know? If, you, if the rent is late and your, your, your landlord is getting ready to litigate, find a way to pay the man. Don't just not worry. And listen, if you ain't got no cash or style or girl to make you smile, it is time to fill out your resume. It is time to go to the thrift store and get a suit, slick back your hair, and get yourself a woman. It is not time to just not worry about it. You know what I'm saying? Is there anybody with me? I got some ladies in this section that are with me, and they're ready for some boys to slick back their hair, okay? Jesus is not telling us just just sit back and not work or not worry or don't do anything about our life. Jesus is, is using a style of argument called the a fortiori argument. Fancy, huh? A fortiori argument is sort of like the, is, is known as the greater argument. What he's, what he's saying is he's using this imagery and he's saying, look at the birds. They don't, they don't labor or toil or spin. The implication is that his listeners do. 
right? The implication is that his listeners are working. They are toiling. They're, they're laboring. They're doing all of these things. And he's saying, look at the birds. They don't do even all the stuff that you're doing, and yet I take care of them. And so it's the greater argument. If God takes care of the smaller, then surely he will take care of the greater. Okay, so Jesus is not just saying, it's not new age, Jesus. Look at the birds, man. It's actually Jesus using a style of argument that says, if Jesus cares for, and if the providence of God is watching over for over something as small as the birds, which are, it's, are part of creation, then surely he will watch over you for how much more valuable are you than they. So he's using this style of argument that is drawing us to realize our value in the eyes of the Father and the, the overarching providence and care of our God. That's what he's doing. It's not sort of this light New Age language of the, uh, that worry, the absence of worry is the absence of care or the absence of, of, of even mattering where you just are in a basement not doing anything saying, I'm not worried about it, I'm just trying to live a godly life, Right? And so he's, he's using the a fortiori argument where the small, if he cares for the smaller things, then surely he will care for the big things. And then after that, he gets, he gets real logical with the audience. And he says, all right, if that doesn't convince you, if this whole, uh, this fancy a fortiori argument doesn't convince you, smaller, greater, all that doesn't, it's not, it's not really ringing a bell, it's not really connecting with you, then let me give you just plain logic. I know that some of you are logical, and so I want to give it to you straight. Who of you, by worrying, has added a single hour to your life? Jesus is essentially saying, worry Anxiety doesn't produce any fruit in that situation. It doesn't do any good. Who of you, by worrying, has added a single hour to your life? In fact, if we want to be logical and we want to move to science, science has shown us over and over that by worrying, you can actually reduce the hours of your life. You can actually decrease your lifespan by worrying. The logical argument that Jesus is making is essentially this. Worry doesn't work. It doesn't help the situation. It doesn't accomplish anything. But I think there's an important distinction that we need to make. Because some of you are like, yeah, but when I worry, I'm worrying at it because I'm worrying about the situation because the situation warrants some worry. I'm looking at it with realistic eyes. I'm looking at it as it really is, and it's large enough that I need to start worrying about it. It's large enough that it requires something of me. Now, let me tell you something. There's a difference between worry and evaluation. Evaluation is looking at a situation and seeing it as it really is. This is the reality of the situation. This is the action that I need to take. These are the kind of prayers that I need to pray about what I really need in this situation. Evaluation is being honest about where you're at. Worry at its root is just the absence of trust. Worry is distrust. And it's totally different from evaluation. Because worry, worry is not a camera, it's a dark room. In other words, it brings out the negatives. 
Okay? That's good. If you missed it, worry is not a camera. It's a dark room because it brings out the negatives. Evaluation, I'm looking honestly and authentically at my situation. I'm seeing what I need to do, what I need God to do, and I'm, I'm working. I'm not, just, I'm not just throwing it aside, but I'm pushing while I pray. Sometimes we've, in past teachings, we've used that. I'm pushing while I pray. Uh, I'm working while I pray for, what, for God to come through in this situation. That's evaluation. What worry does, if I'm just worried about the situation, I will take the smallest seed of negative and I will develop that until it's full blown and the mountain becomes so tall that I can never climb it. And when I see a mountain that big that is formed and built through worry, my faith is diminished. In other words, when worry goes up, my faith comes down. When my worry is up, my faith comes down because I've developed every single narrative, every single negative. I've played through every single situation. I've grabbed a hold of every negative thought. I've, gra- I've held that captive rather than every, capti- every thought captive that should be honoring to God. I've captured every thought, every ne- possible negative situation, and I've played it to, it lo- to its logical end so much so that my faith is diminished. Does that make sense? I saw a, um, I saw a film recently called it's kind of a funny story and the i I don't think it's a very popular movie uh so let me tell you a little bit about it Uh, it's uh the the story tells uh is about this teenager who is very troubled he's depressed to the point of of committing suicide and in fact the opening scene of the film is he goes to the brooklyn bridge is ready to jump off uh, but decides that he just can't do it and instead of going to the bridge he rides his bike to a uh, hospital and checks himself in and says, I, I'm, I'm ready to commit suicide. I'm, I'm a danger to myself. And so I want to, to check myself in. Well, the storyline then follows his development uh, while he's in this, this hospital. But at one scene in the movie, uh, he's, he's worried about everything. I mean, you just get a sense that this kid is totally broken, worried about everything. And he's in a prestigious school. And one of the things that he needs to do that has got him so worried is he's got to fill out this application to be accepted into a prestigious summer school. And it's not summer school for kids who can't cut it. It's summer school for kids who want to get ahead and and make it to a great college, all of this stuff. And so he's really stressed out about this application. Now, the counselor that he's meeting with uh, says, asks him a a simple question, trying to get him to, to see perspective. And she asked him the question, what will happen if you don't fill out this application or if you're not accepted to this summer school? And uh, his answer is, if I don't get into this school, then I won't get into a good college. And if I don't get into a good college, I won't get a good job. And if I don't get a good job, I can't pay for a nice car that I want. And if I don't have that nice car that I want, I won't be able to press this nice girl, which means I'll be all alone. And and, and I'll be all alone and lonely for the rest of my life. And it just kind of piles on each other, right? And so what he's this, he's hinging his entire life on a summer school application. Because worry develops the negatives. It plays out this situation where if I don't this, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this. 
I want to encourage you today because some of you are in that same spot. You've grabbed a hold of one situation. You're absolutely sick with worry about it. And you have played out your entire life based on the negative outcome of this circumstance. And you're allowing your whole life to hinge right here. Let me encourage you today with the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. That God's sovereignty is bigger than your one situation that you're hinging everything on. That God's goodness can surely work through any situation and however this pans out. Because evaluation is honesty. Worry is allowing every negative seed to be played completely out of proportion in our life. Does that make sense? I know I've done that before. And I think some of you have too. And so worry is not a camera, it's a, it's a dark room. Now, here's why I really feel like, um, here's why I feel like worry is such an issue in our, in our culture. Um, and, and why I feel like maybe some of you might struggle with worry and how, why sometimes I struggle with worry as well. We like to know the plan, don't we? And worry comes because oftentimes we don't have the full plan of what's going to happen. We don't see the thing played out as God sees it already playing out. We don't see how this thing is going to end like God sees how it's going to end. And so our response sometimes is not trust in who God is, but worry because I don't have the plan. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Uh, In my house, we always have a plan. Um, If you have been to my house, you have seen on the refrigerator our family plan. It looks like this. And this uh, includes... Everything that we do as a family, it doesn't include individual schedules, uh, but it includes anything that we do as a family. And so it has dinner plans. Like if you want to know what we're doing two weeks from this Saturday, it's on the family plan right on the refrigerator, ready for anyone that would walk into our home to see. And anyone could go in and say, oh, dinner was good last night, wasn't it? You know what I mean? Everything is right here. Let me tell you, in my home, there is no reason to worry because I have the plan and Amy is the master of the plan she writes everything down did I hear an amen after that (laughs) I I don't doubt that one bit I will echo your amen and raise it another amen okay so um so I don't ever have to worry because I know what the plan is the plan is laid out it's easy to see it's right up front But have you ever heard someone say, oftentimes it's leaders, they say, you know what, I'm not into the details. You ever heard somebody say that? It's like a leader would look at the details of our family life and be like, I'm not into the details. I don't care what's for dinner. Am I eating? (laughs) I'm not into the details. How many of you have ever felt in your life as you try to walk through it that God is not into the details and you wish he were? Many of you, and you're scared to raise your hand, that's okay. 
Here's the deal. God really isn't all that into the details. Now, I know that I'm supposed to be encouraging, but I'm also supposed to be a truth teller. And God isn't all, into, into all, that, all that into the details. And I can prove that to you scripturally. God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, go to the land that I will show you. And Abraham, Abraham is like, can I get some directions? And God's like, nope. Just go and show, baby. Go and show. Okay? Later on, uh, Moses is uh, called by God to, to free the uh, to lead the nation of Israel, to free them out of, of slavery in Egypt. And uh, Moses is like, no, nah, I can't really do that. And, you know, but who, who should I tell him has sent me? You know, I'm, I'm supposed to approach the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh, and proclaim freedom for the people, for the nation that you have enslaved. And so who am I supposed to say I'm working for, right? And God says, tell him I am has sent you. And Moses is like, can I get a last name? And God says, am first name i last name am i am can i get any more nope just say i am god's not into details and here's why if god gave you this for your life you would trust the plan not the person Is that true? If God laid out every detail of your life and said, you know what, next week you're going to face a challenge and it's going to test you, but let me tell you how it's going to play out. They're going to call back. They won't call back. You'll need to call them, whatever it looks like. If God gave you every detail of your, of, uh, every detail of your life, you would trust in this, not the author of this. Because listen, I got to be honest with you. I've been married to Amy 10 years and we've only had a family plan for about a year or less. I do not need a family plan to trust that Amy has a meal planned for tonight or that she has delegated that responsibility to me. Right? I don't, I don't need the plan because I trust in the person. And some of you are waiting for God to full out, fully give you the family plan of your life. And I got to tell you today, God is not into the details because he doesn't want you to trust in that. He wants you to trust in him. And so if I can give you any word for today is to take the situation that you're worried about, the situation where you're saying, God, give me the details. Tell me what's going to happen. Tell me how this is going to end. If I could give you any kind of instruction, any kind of word from God, God. It would be do not trust in the plan. Trust in the person of God. Know that he is good. Know that his sovereignty is overarching for he is the one who cares even for the birds who beautifully dresses the flowers of the field. So God is not insulting your situation and just saying your situation calls for you to get some binoculars and watch birds. God is not insulting your situation by saying that all you got to do is take a walk and notice the flowers. He's saying my sovereignty is overarching. My goodness is so great that I want you to trust in me, not in the plan that I've laid out for you. And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't know whether your level of stress or your level of worry or anxiety is, but rest in the goodness of God who loves you.
and know that regardless of how this situation plays out, his sovereignty and his goodness can handle it. And that God is not surprised. And in fact, he already knows the outcome. This is precisely why Jesus, at the end of this passage about worry, tells us what? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. And as you walk in trust and as you seek him, you will begin to see the details of this plan filled out. But here's how it plays out. You don't get the whole picture like I do at home on the fridge. You don't get the whole picture all at once. Sometimes you may be on this day and God will give you a little bit of detail for that day. Other times you'll be on this day and God gives you a little bit of light about what this day will look like. It's in the form of a calling, in the form of, uh, of some other kind of revelation or inspiration. And God says, this is where you're at right now, but this is where I see you right here. And you're like, but what's in between? And God says, trust me. Because I'm not going to fill this whole thing out for you. I'm just going to give you the parts that you need. I'm going to give you a little bit of light to walk in for each day for each season of your life. So don't expect to have the same kind of plan of your life that I have on my fridge because I'm spoiled. Expect to see this kind of blank planner on your life that's filled in gradually, subtly, and then work instead of worry because worry don't work. That's bad English, but it's great theology. Okay? Work, don't worry, because worry don't work. Now, there's this other part of this passage. What Jesus is talking about is not big career moves, he's not talking about kind of life, monumental life decisions. What God is talking about in this passage is food, clothing, shelter, basic needs. And so while we can apply this this idea and this principle of worry to all of our life, regardless of how large your situation is, we can apply it there. We can take this this teaching on worry and, and really look at it according to whatever situation, large or small, that you're facing. But we cannot ignore the fact that Jesus talks very specifically about, about uh, necessities. Do not worry about the necessities of your life because I will see to it that they are met. And we might look at a world where, where there are villages in Africa that don't have access to clean water. And we might say God is not saying true to his word because, but, well, let's be honest. There are birds that fall out of the sky and there are lilies that die. And so how do we handle that? God has always chosen to do something very interesting, something that I would not have done if I were God. He counts on us. And so while we can apply this situation to, to apply this teaching to whatever situation you find yourself anxious about and find encouragement in the goodness and the sovereignty of God, may we also realize 
that God may be calling you who have all the necessities that you need in this life to help become the answer to those who do not. We, we can't just come across this passage and apply it to the big decisions in our life or the monumental things. We have to realize that while you and I, we all, there's nobody naked here, so we all have clothes. And while we've all been blessed in different measures, we have to realize that there are some people who daily do not have food and are truly depending on God for their sustenance. For their livelihood. And here's the rub of this passage that God wants to use you and I to help meet those needs. And so, may I encourage you if you ever find yourself praying, God, would you bless this person? God, would you encourage this person? May I encourage you to not leave all the work up to God, but consider the possibility that God may be calling you to work through you to be an encouragement and to be a blessing. Because how incongruent is it for us for us to pray a blessing on someone and then not go the next step and bless them? How incongruent is it for us to pray that God would encourage them and then not write that note of encouragement, to not send that email? Because if God wants us to bless and encourage, and if we desire that for someone, then you and I ought to be the people to do it. For we are the church in the body of Christ. That is precisely what we are called to do. And so we cannot forget the necessity of this passage. How God is talking about the things that we need every single day. Because some of us have everything that we need on a daily basis. And we find ourselves worried about the larger things. But let me tell you, there are people around the world that would give anything to have your problem. Because they, don't, they can't find clothes that fit at the shelter. And it's great when they get canned foods, but how are they going to cook it? There's all kinds of needs that boil down to necessities that are, that are present in our world, and God is calling you and I, his church, his people, to help meet those needs. And so while you and I may be worried about all kinds of things, some of you are worried about getting money to buy that MacBook Pro. Anybody would give to have your problem. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to provide perspective. So let me give you your your freedom foundation. Your freedom foundation today is to not trust the plan, but trust the person, the person of God. Don't place your trust in the plan. Place your trust in the person of God. Because if you place your trust in the plan, you will find yourself always frustrated with God who refuses to reveal the whole picture to you. But if you trust in the person and his goodness, then you will find that worry goes down and worship goes up. Right? When worry goes up, faith comes down. But when worry goes down, worship goes up. 
And so I don't know what your situation is, but I would encourage you as you trust in the person of God to meet your need to worship through that situation. Worship through it. And be, man, be free in your worship. Raise your hands. Sing so loud you have no voice at the end of the service. I mean, enter in to worship and worship your way through that.